This episode is brought to you by Maui Nui Venison, a mission-based food company bringing the healthiest meat on the planet directly to your door. I have strived over the years to cultivate a deeper connection with the food that fuels myself and my family, balancing nutritional value and ethics that align with our values. This process has led me to harmonize with nature as much as possible. Maui Nui Venison brings this process to fruition. Not only does this company provide the most nutrient-dense meat available, this is the only stress-free, 100% wild-harvested red meat on the market, an operation that is truly one of its kind, actively managing Maui's invasive axis deer populations, helping to restore balance to vulnerable ecosystems and communities in Hawaii. Maui Nui seeks to restore balance, not eradicate or farm these animals. Managing populations means only a limited number of memberships are available. Get yours while you can. Go to MauiNuiVenison.com slash mindful to get 20% off your first order. Before you drift off into one of our meditations or dive into a podcast interview, I would like to share with you one of the new opportunities for our listeners at The Mindful Movement. This is Sarah Raymond, and I'm so excited to announce the expansion of our coaching services to include two of my good friends and excellent coaches, Nikki Dyer and Laura Cannon. Both Nikki and Laura provide their own unique skill sets, allowing us to meet the needs of our growing audience. If you want to learn more, just follow the coaching link in the show notes. As always, we are grateful for your support and look forward to working with you. Hello, and welcome to the Mindful Movement Podcast. I'm Les Raymond. Thanks for tuning in. Normally, I'm the host of this podcast, but today will be a little different. I was recently interviewed on the Beautifully Broken Podcast by my good friend, Freddie Kimmel. Now, typically, I'm a conduit on the Mindful Movement for the voice of others. I'm grateful for that role, and I find it very fulfilling. I love learning, and when I learn something that I really resonate with, I feel compelled to spread that message. And that's one of the primary things I've done with the Mindful Movement podcast. I myself have been teaching for quite some time, and there's some topics that I really like to talk about. And because of the nature of the Mindful Movement podcast, I usually don't get to share. I thought this would be a great opportunity to offer some different insights to the audience and to give a little background of how the Mindful Movement has emerged and a little bit of my history, and some of the principles that I guide my movement coaching from. I want to thank you again for tuning in, and I hope you enjoy the episode. Thank you for having me on. By the way, I love the name of your podcast, Beautifully Broken. It's very fitting. Just thinking about it leading up to where we like push go, it makes me like think back of my journey and all the crap I've been through and being like overweight and out of shape and addicted to drugs and alcohol and finding a lot of like pieces that I thought of me that were broken, I guess, in mm -hmm. some way and yeah. like a problem. Yeah. And then over time gaining like a different perspective and, and seeing the beauty in it all and the gratitude I could find and, you know, all the ups and downs and twists and turns that I've encountered. So it's, um, it's just a really good use of words you have. Oh, thank you, man. It speaks to me. It resonates. It attracts people like you. So less, you have a platform in which you guide people through movement and deep awareness. And and you and your partner also have a very successful YouTube channel, yes? Yeah, I think that's 
uh, pretty much where it started. My wife, Sarah Raymond, has a special voice. And it was funny. She's also a movement practitioner and ran a uh, brick and mortar Pilates studio with her mother. And she was teaching Pilates teachers. And they were having issues with like confidence. And my wife, Sarah, was getting into like hypnosis as like a tool for like behavior change, definitely for cultivating confidence. And she needed, so she was using hypnosis based meditations mm -hmm. for the students of her like Pilates class, like the teachers. She was a, a teacher's teacher essentially for their teaching purposes. And she needed a way to get them. A video to listen to mm -hmm. and this was a long time ago and we didn't really know anything about youtube and my son who was like 10 at the time she says why don't you just put it on youtube and then send him the link and my wife was like i don't know what that is like i don't know what those words mean you just said so uh he shows her how to make a youtube video mm -hmm. and she doesn't really know at the time that everybody's going to be able to see that, have access. She yeah. thinks she's just going to be sending this to her students and they'll be able to listen to it. And then, um, which she does that. And then it doesn't take long before she looks over the shoulder and says, there's a lot of people watching these videos. And we were getting feedback like, these are really good. You should keep doing these. People will come. Yeah. And um, so that was in, I don't know, like summer of 16. Mm. And now I, I think we're maybe a few days away from turning 700,000 subscribers and a lot of daily views where people just come back to that voice and find like a little piece of inner peace to um, help them navigate like the stresses of life and such. So that's how it began. And then I'm, you know, I, I am a consumer of podcasts and I enjoy podcasts to be able to just connect with somebody through conversation so at one point she started a podcast and then realized she didn't like that as much. And I just kind of took it over and mm -hmm. I run that. And I also have a brick and mortar gym in Maryland that I work primarily with beginners one-on-one mm. -on -one to get them kind of from the couch into a, some kind of transformational like pivot point of their life mm. where they're identifying where they want to go and changing the goalpost and then kind of guiding them on kind of nourishing the qualities that would lead them that way. Yeah, that's incredible. Yeah, your channel, 699,000 people follow that channel. That's a lot of people. That's a lot of impact. It's hard to imagine. What's crazy is um, you know, right behind me is a real, where this is like a guest room that we like modify to multi-purpose. Mm -hmm. And there's a small closet behind me. I mean, like really small closet. And it's just lined with like, pillows and blankets mm -hmm. and it's funny to think sarah does her recording in there and like every day you know there's 50 to 100 thousand people around the world listening to this voice going you know <laughs> soothing them to sleep at night and it's like if they only knew that she's just like in this little nook in the corner of the house with the mic yeah it's, um, it's kind of crazy how technology can be this like accelerator in mm. that way and granted, that goes, you know, two sides of that coin. It could be an accelerator of negativity also, yeah. unfortunately, which is, you know, you don't have to look far to find. But compared to the past where, like, let's say when you were young, you got a really important lesson that meant something to you. Maybe you were like fishing with your uncle and he gave you like some wise advice. The turnaround on spreading that message to the world you know, it might have been like a decade or two before you mentioned it to one other person or 
you know, things just move so slow. Whereas now with these platforms, you could have a good idea and it might resonate with a million people and you could get them. You could get that idea to those million people very quickly. Yeah. So, um, you know, I like to think there's a, a net benefit there. I do too. I think it's energy behind the action. I like to believe whatever your belief system is going to charge that idea going forward, accelerated in the space. And I also think it's beautiful that there is no grandiose sound studio in your house, that it's just a, <laughs> it's a family with a closet and you guys had something that you believe in that you found was providing value and was on point and purpose. And it happened because it was right with that. I want to hear about what brought you into the field of mindful movement, mindfulness, health and wellness. You mentioned a little bit that there was a backstory in which your past might not have been in such alignment with your body today. Yeah, well, I grew up, I guess, soothing the pain of like trauma that I was not aware of is just like parents splitting up when you're really young. Mm hmm not really understanding that, not having the developed mind where you could see, you know, your parents didn't split up because they don't love you. It's because, you know, they're in a dysfunctional, toxic relationship and don't know how to love each other themselves. And, you know, that could lead to all kinds of coping strategies. And I definitely turned to like alcohol and all sorts of like addictions. And eventually over time, I had to quit alcohol, cocaine, opiates, so long history of a lot of kind of hard hitting drugs that definitely disengage you, I think, from the life experience and mm. make you disengage from relationships, not just relationships with others in your life, but yourself. Yeah. And there was definitely a turning point when soon after we had our first child, who's 19 now, I was pretty heavy and my wife and my mother-in-law signed me up for a 5K. And normally, mm -hmm. like, I would have been really pissed because I it's not something I would have woke up that day thinking I want to do. Yeah. But I, I kind of took it as I'm really grateful I took it as a hint. You know, when someone that really cares about you mm. tells you something honest, it's very easy to get defensive and fight back. And I definitely have a history of that myself. People tell me what to do or whatever. But, um, man, it, it hit the right spot at the right time. I signed up for a race and I, like, went out for a run and I made it like a half mile, thought I was going to absolutely die. But then like a few months later, and I just would go out like every other day running. Mm. And then I basically just exchanged one addiction for another. Yeah. One just had a healthier outcome. And I went on to doing that 5K and then getting obsessed. And I ran about 200 running races and I did triathlons for about seven years. Mm. So I fell down like a rabbit hole of exercise. and. All through that point, I didn't really know much about movement, like context around it. I just knew how to go out and exercise, essentially, mm -hmm. and show up for a race. Yeah. And I was fortunate enough to learn that the body is quite a dynamic system. I met the right people. I had some training partners that were kind of wizards in the like manual therapy field mm -hmm. that gave me some insights into how complex the body is and how miraculous it can be. And how you could tinker with the architecture mechanically and really change outcomes. And mm -hmm. that was like fascinating to me. And eventually that led me into learning more about not just exercise, but movement in general and different qualities like strength and power. 
And then that essentially, through altering my relationship with myself through that journey, it led me to look at other aspects of health more closely, like whether it be nutrition, recovery, and mindset. And eventually I wandered into this realm of mindset through the help of different coaches and through just practicing. Got into meditation, which gave me a reference point of what paying attention meant in life. Mm-hmm. And then since then, I guess, have been applying those mindfulness practices of paying attention to all the aspects of my life as much as I can to just shape different outcomes. And then in turn, with my intention, trying to help others you know, find some similar positive path. And I, I guess I'm really passionate about helping someone and watching like a transformation unfold. I feel like I've been through kind of a long, drawn out, muddy, challenging, bloody transformation myself over a long time. And I like to offer a compressed version of that for someone like (laughs) you don't necessarily have to go through, you know, all the downs along with the ups like this can be refined and applied to the average person's lifestyle Mm -hmm. in a more inviting way than what I put myself through. And I just like to kind of be a guide for folks, help yeah. them ask the right questions, pull the mirror back from their face enough, hold it at the right angle, ask the right questions mm. to get them to just identify where they want to go and then present ideas of what step to take now. Yeah, that's so beautiful. When we started talking on the podcast, you said you had this passion for working with beginners and the idea of taking somebody to a couch to the gym. From a couch, yeah. 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 But I love that because it's the biohacking or this container, you know, sometimes it can be a little bit of a silo or an echo chamber and where we think everybody's trying to get the last 1%. And really, I imagine working with somebody that doesn't move at all to a program must be a massive shift in their life. And and probably you, you witness some amazing transformational experiences as some of the clientele you get to work with. I do. Yeah, I'm lucky. And you know, I've worked with some pretty high-end athletic folks. And granted, it's rewarding or making incremental improvements for someone that's been like exercising for a long time. But there's just something about like that large-scale transformation that is, I find, very fulfilling for me personally mm-hmm. to be a part of. And I also, over the years, I gotten away from like the babysitting model of training. Mm-hmm. And I try to like teach a man to fish, I guess, mm-hmm. a little bit more. Yeah. Where I don't mind helping someone be accountable, but I don't want to be there forever showing up to the gym a few times a week. And you're not going to do anything if I don't do that. What I like to do is be intensive up front and then educate by providing context and education in the beginning so that they could essentially take the reins from themselves. You know, and if you're showing up to the gym, for instance, or anything for that matter, for the right reason, Mm -hmm. then the internal conflict about continuing on your own will dissolve. You know, the the argument we have with ourselves in our mind about showing up goes away. You become a little bit more matter of fact with this is just the way I live. This is part of my lifestyle. So I try to facilitate that to take place. And I find that a big part of that especially with the beginner, is just providing a good education up front and context around why you're doing what you're doing right now. And that way, 
the touch points down the road are just fewer and far between and someone's not as dependent. doesn't mean there's not still value in getting some more coaching, but I really like doing, you know, five, 10 sessions up front that are very intensive mm -hmm. and, then, you know, just a monthly or quarterly touch point, depending upon how often something needs to be adjusted and what their desires are. Yeah. So that's kind of the model I've gone to, but I get to witness the cool part, you know, the fun part, the dramatic stuff. And I used to be really not obsessed, but I used to really enjoy watching the dramatic like weight changes. But what I really appreciate as I get older is watching how as someone develops a stronger relationship with themselves in the gym, and I find the gym or exercise in general is just a, a good tool to do that with that then could be applied elsewhere. Mm -hmm. I love seeing the elsewhere. I love seeing when somebody comes in and said, I'm changing the way I'm speaking to my child. Like I'm seeing that my child is teaching me to be patient. I'm seeing that I get down on my knee and look them in the eye instead of talk down to them. You know, I'm taking the extra moment. I'm paying more attention to the other aspects that are ultimately, you know, more important in life. Yeah. I mean, the body is important. You know, yeah. we're in a meat suit that has <laughs> a, a very important role because it's a vessel carrying us around. Yeah. But the idea is that the meat suit's there so that the you that's inside it could show up in the world the way that you desire and the yeah. way that aligns with whatever you value. Yeah, it's so profound to think about just the subtle nuance of a very small change having a ripple effect that, like you said, is witnessed in the family dynamic or how you interact with your partner. And I really do. I say this often, how much I believe in movement and the quality of movement. I'll usually take an example. It's like, how do you open the door going into a room? How do you greet someone? How do you exit your car at the grocery store? How do you put dishes away in the house? You know, those can all be an act of exercise or healing or re-education of a system. Like sometimes I had a dance teacher tell me this once. He's like, you know, it's like you reach up to the upper layer and you extend your leg and your line and you place the cup on the shelf with ease. And it can all be this beautiful choreography. Or we've all witnessed this, being around somebody's movement and energy, which is, it's hard. There's a lot coming at you. It's agitated. It's angry. And I always think about the body existing in this vibration all day, every day. For me, that's a level of disease. And then you can equate it to the high-end performer like Michael Phelps. It's like just a quarter degree of turn of his hand, and he is the most decorated summer Olympian ever. Right. Right. So it's that it works everywhere. Yeah. People in general are very disconnected from their bodies. And I feel like it's just a good entry point into like personal growth and development, just like go inward, learn a little bit a lot and learn a little bit more about yourself. And it's interesting you mentioned about like there's um I don't know the word you use, but it's like a lack of flow, the way people navigate in space as they go through their day. There's like a rigidity to it. There's like a disconnect. Plus there's just a lot of tension, you know? Yeah. We have a very stressful lifestyle. Like society and culture imposes just a wild level of stresses from all these different angles. And people don't necessarily realize how that stress accumulates in tension. And then tension invariably will, will be like inversely related to like a flow you know, a, a resonance, a harmony with, you know, living. Yeah. So it's important or it's useful, uh, in my opinion, to like be able to witness that, identify it, and then nurture whatever qualities you need to help kind of grow through that. And 
and maybe take whatever part of you that feels the need to create that tension in the body to survive, to go forward and not hate on it, you know, love it, whatever, but also find a different purpose for that, that serves you a little bit better. Yeah. Take that part of you that's not necessarily good or bad, but just redirect it in a way that more aligns with what you want now in your life, because that's always changing. A lot of the crap we have walking around with is things that we've developed from like a long time ago thing, you know, and it's like, well, that might've served you really well, helped you when you were really young through some Mm. challenging, stressful thing. But uh, maybe that could be repurposed today in a better way. Yeah, the body keeps the score. When we started, you had also mentioned, you said, Freddie, I have no pain, which is amazing for me to hear. It's something that with my history of autoimmunity, even though now I have no inflammation on my labs or blood work, having that in the container for 20 years, there's a little residual damage. So I'm kind of in the place where I'm starting to put muscle on again and really work with strength, but I'm noticing the compensation patterns that I used for so many years. Will I'll have pain getting out of like a chair, but not deadlifting, you know? So it's that I'm kind of in this place now where I really want to identify somebody to help me fix my movement patterns. And I do have a deep awareness of the body, you know, singing and dancing and doing theater and storytelling. And I found I just can't be my own guide with it. I just don't understand enough. So how do you start with somebody that's struggling with pain? So that's speaking to something I'm, I'm super passionate about. You mentioned like movement patterns and quality. And I was lucky enough to stumble across the functional movement systems years ago, probably like 12 years ago in my journey. Is that great, Cook? Yeah, great cook. What a fantastic mind. He's done so much for the world of movement. What he did, he took a lot of movement practitioners and he made them observers of movement. So instead of just like exercise teachers or whatever, we became observers. And he created a system that allowed you to quantify the quality of movement of someone. So it gave you something to look, it gave you a different perspective to look at the way someone moved. Now, I don't think his system is perfect. And I think he would actually be the first to admit that, but it's insanely useful. But what it speaks to is, you know, he teaches an idea of like a performance pyramid. And you mentioned you're trying to cultivate the quality of strength lately. And I noticed on our podcast, you were flexing up and showing me your, your recent gains. <laughs> Talking about, I'm like doing the lion diet. and uh, So I applaud you for the hard work. I know it's not easy. But if you think about a pyramid, what's important about the performance period is like its, its shape. So at the bottom of the pyramid is what I would consider movement competency. Like how well do you move? So we have a human body that has this basic anatomical design. There's exceptions, but generally we have two legs, two arms, a trunk, a neck, a head. And no matter how we got here, there seems to be a design in the way that we're designed to move. We all go through this developmental sequence the first year of our life where we respond to our environment with the parameters we have, this body, ground, gravity, space, three planes within that space, and we develop this ability to move, which is unlike the other animal kingdom or a lot of it where they come out of the womb and like the next afternoon they're walking around. And we don't do that. We all go through this 
phase. It takes about a year, give or take, to learn these foundational human patterns. We all seem to learn it the same way, regardless of what century or what continent you're in. And none of the adults in the room are telling us how to do it. It's wild. It's fascinating to watch. So connecting with that is super important on the other side of this conversation about how do you reprogram? How do you tune the body so that pain doesn't arise so easily? But the performance period at the base, you have this, how well do you move? Call it quality, call it competency, call it how well you move. And then in the middle is you have this force because movement on some level is the transfer of energy in the form of force through the body. Now, there's other ways you could define it. I find that to be a useful one when you're talking about, you know, trying to exercise in a way that helps you more. So you could apply force. You can call it strength, power. Power has like an acceleration component, a velocity component to that force. So what's important is that whatever amount of force that you're producing, you have the base of competency to produce that through. And at the top of the pyramid would be like a skill. So through whatever activity. So you used to be a dancer. So whatever like crazy dance move you did, or if you did a backflip, or you mentioned Michael Phelps, whatever he does, a breaststroke, or, um, or it could be just an exercise in the gym. Let's say you're doing a kettlebell clean. Whatever the thing is, what's important is that the shape is that you have enough competency to channel and transfer and apply the force or power that you are applying through whatever that activity is. And when that shape gets kind of fakakta, then you'll have some compensatory strategy. You mentioned that you were trying to avoid compensation. So based on how we're designed to move, as force goes through our system, we need to be able to manage it on some level. And we have all these like tissue relationships. So if you think of like force going through a joint, and then you have tissue on one side that moves the joint this way, call, you know, muscles and tendons and tissue on the other side that moves it the other way, they're in a relationship. And when we have a compensation, meaning we're moving more than we can do well. So we're outside of that shape. And you can always move more than you can move well. Mm. Like you mentioned deadlifting. I guarantee you could deadlift more than you could deadlift well, meaning how well do you manage your body in space with the forces in those three planes, in these parameters of that bar in your hand, your feet on the ground, and you're managing the force that is going from your body into the ground. Newton tells us it goes back into your body and then through your shoulder girdle, through the arm, into the bar, and then the bar moves. So what's important is to like always be objective of, of that. And that can be hard to do yourself. Like, am I within the realm? Am I able to move this without that compensation? Because when the compensation strategy comes on, because we're, we're going to find a way to survive. Like if your right leg is all funky when it pushes the ground when you walk, it's not like you're not going to still walk in a straight line. Like yeah. if you manage rotational forces more efficiently with your left leg than your right leg, you're still going to survive. You're going to go forward. You're going to compensate. So what happens is the tissue relationships around that joint will change. Mm -hmm. there'll be a manifestation of that compensation. Yeah. And initially, we might interpret that as like, oh, my hamstring feels tight. You know, I stretch it, but it's still tight. And then later, you know, maybe that is irritating a tendon and it shows up as tendonitis. Right. Or 
there's so much tension that it's pulling on the joint structure and you have like bursitis. And then when you're 60, you have a doctor saying you need a fake hip. But at the heart of it is just you can't, you lost that efficiency the way the force goes through the body. Yeah. Can I just ask, uh, just to recap, yes. the bottom of the pyramid is, is quality. And then we have force is the middle. And then the top is, did you say it's the channel? It's like a skill. So Got I would it. call the bottom like competency, mm -hmm. movement competency. The middle is force, strength, power. And then the top is a skill, which is really just whatever activity. It could be a push-up. Yeah. It could be throwing a baseball. It could be walking down the street. You know, if you can't hold your head up, if your architecture has been compromised due to your habits or trauma or whatever, the form follows the function. So if you sit in a desk 60 hours a week and the form, the architecture has been compromised, you could bet that the function has also been compromised too. Yeah. So yeah. it will change the way you breathe. It'll change the way the nervous system responds to the activity. It'll change the way your your eyes scan your environment as mm -hmm. you're walking. And you might always have your head down to make sure you don't fall over this step. And you you just don't operate well. Yeah. Now, getting to the point where you're reducing and you're never going to, like, eliminate compensatory strategies like the human's just too much of a dynamic system and there's too much cool shit to do. Like you're going to do things where there's risks involved. You're going to go paddle boarding while you're on vacation or like whatever the thing is, you're going to do things. Oh dude, the, on Maui, I went surfing for the first time. There you go. And it was like, I said this another episode, but it was so awakening, laying prone, being up and looking for waves and then popping up out of maybe being prone for 10 minutes. When I would pop up, I don't have back pain, but I had such shooting pain through my lower back just because it was like, it's a move I never do. So going from prone to popping up into standing, it was like, I worked through it, but I got so frustrated in my initial 30 minutes because I was like, wait, I snowboard, I dance, I can do back, I can do all these things. But there was this huge gap in this. And I love, once I would get up, I was like, oh my God, when you're up, it's amazing. I'm riding a wave. I'm like, it's perfection. Like, so I really, I have this goal now. I want to fix this compensatory pattern so I can go learn to surf. Cause I was like, this is the best. It's like everything you ever wanted. It's just an awesome sport. So I just, gotcha. I say that with the blind spot was revealed when yeah, I tried yeah. the thing that I don't do. Well, that'll be a gift for you, I think, that moment. Oh, 100%. I mean, yeah. I felt such shame. My girlfriend was like, <laughs> up and up and up right. and ray, wave, wave. She kept riding waves. I was like, and the instructor was like, Freddie, let's stand you up on the board and I'll hold you. I had my hands on his shoulders and he like pushed me to catch a wave. And That's then my, and this, this is what's funny. I got one. I never fell again. Oh, interesting. Like my body just, I was like, oh. There was less panic. Like when I would get up, I'd be like, you don't need to freak out. You're on the board. So there you go. Yeah. Yeah. It's funny you mentioned that. That prone position is so important. You know, I alluded to the developmental sequence earlier that that first year of our life where we like learn how to move. And when you really observe closely what like a four and five month old toddler does or infant. Yeah. In that position you know, as adults, like if you go to a yoga class, for instance, you might find yourself in that position or a variation of that position that's actually quite easy and almost restful. But if you watch how the human body actually does it, 
and develops when they're learning how to control their head in space and get off the ground from that position where force all of a sudden gets kind of channeled through the trunk and through the shoulder girdle that a baby has to manage. It's hard. Like mm -hmm. we'll have adults do that usually day one or day two. And it's so humbling for them. And the fact that a baby does it, does something that challenging without anyone telling it to do it is really interesting. Yeah. But, you know, I know this will probably resonate with you. The idea of like tuning the body up. I mean, you had a big impact on me learning about the amp coil technology. And that's like one of my daily tune ups while I have morning coffee with my wife. In the movement world, I feel like the floor is like the tuning fork for the body, essentially. So, mm. because that's where all the magic lies, because that's where we originally learned how to do it. So, once we are done that developmental sequence and, you know, you go off and you're a three, four, five-year-old school and you're playing and you're always out, you know, when we were young, we had one toy called Outside. So, you were exposed to a lot of dynamic environments that kind of kept you tuned up. But once you enter, like, the world of chairs, sofas, cars, and, and such, things change. Architecture changes. Some of the functionality changes. Compensatory strategies emerge. So the thing to connect with is just relearning how to move the way that we originally learned how to move, which is really the floor was the equipment. And to me, the value in getting on the floor and doing what I would consider like groundwork of some sort Mm -hmm. on a regular basis is extremely nourishing. Mm. And I actually think that if you only had one tool to pick, like an exercise tool and only one, like that might be it, just the floor. Mm. And we get disconnected from it. Like when I have people come into the gym and I tell them, you know, time to take your shoes off and get on the floor. A lot of times I get some really odd looks and, and I mean, there's been times where people have just walked out on me and said, this isn't a good fit, which is understandable. We have all have our, our issues, but that's where all the magic lies. And the patterns, you know, you said you want to fix your movement patterns. So there's, there's some patterns that are foundational to being a human being. So there's different variations and kind of like many steps along the way. But in that first year of life, we all basically learn how to roll. It's like our first form of locomotion mm -hmm. like you're on your back and you you just want to get somewhere else and you you roll over and you you move a little bit sideways mm -hmm. and then once we get in a quadruped we learn how to crawl and that's like a much broader form of locomotion where you know we could get around the house have our parents chase us around and then eventually we get up standing and then there's three kind of primary patterns from the standing position one is walking our primary form of locomotion as a human there's mm -hmm. I would say supposed to be now for a lot of people, it's a car. Yeah. And there's very little walking. And then there's two ways that we go from like high positions to low positions. One is like uh, hinging, which is kind of more horizontal in nature, where your hips kind of go backwards. So you mentioned deadlifting earlier. The hinge, right? Deadlifting is essentially taking a hinge and applying the quality of strength to it. Mm -hmm. It's like, how do I put a mechanical load on my body through this pattern? so that the outcome of cultivating is what I'm practicing right now, whether it be strength. And you could take a pattern and apply any kind of quality to it, like competency, endurance, strength, power, whatever. The other, the final pattern would be squatting. So a little bit more vertical in nature and it's, you know, natural resting position, evacuation position. 
and it's just generally useful. So those five patterns are, I find like where that base of the pyramid lies. Well, we mm. talked about that competency. So within those patterns, you're developing all these concepts that show up in everything else you do, like surfing. When you go to control your head and you're in that prone position, you're picking your head up. I mean, that is a component that we learn when we learned how to roll over. We mm -hmm. pick our head up and then, you know, as a baby, your head's like ginormous relative to your body as compared to an adult. And the act of picking that head up and crossing it over our midline so that the rest of our body followed and rolled over, that was like early strength training. Yeah. Yeah. It reminds me of a book that I had found years and years ago called Original Strength with, oh, yeah. I think it's Tim yeah. Anderson Tim and Anderson. Jeff Newport, yeah. right? Yeah, I went to one of their workshops. Outstanding. Yeah. And that's a perfect example. You know, yeah. that's where they spend their time and they have their all different variations they put on it. And they have some really creative ways that they will load those patterns. Yeah. Which um, with some unique equipment and very useful and a great place for the average person to like get started for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Mine right now is my hips. Like I can deadlift Huns. I can do pull-ups. I can crawl. It's getting from like that lunge or in the, the squatting is where it's just, I'm so restricted. I'm actually, the front of my hip flexors are like, you can see there's like muscles there and it's like overdeveloped in the front. I, again, compensating for possibly surgeries, but also knees were initially super swollen with Lyme. And so I think however I could stand without putting pressure on the knees, you can imagine you're kind of pushing up with your shoulders or you're rounding your back or you're whatever the compensation was. It's really interesting now that I've dealt with a lot of those native inflammatory pathways. It's been interesting to rework that. So you could deadlift with no pain, but squatting None. does give you pain. Yeah, I just there's tightness and I could box squat. You know, I can squat to a 90 degree angle pretty well, but there is a, there's just, I would say tightness in the knee capsule, which I'm, you know, I'm trying to work around and do some stuff, but I can feel how it's almost like there's knots in the rope. Gotcha. Yeah. You well, know? there might be just that, like it might be soft tissue work or, I mean, this might sound a little woo, but old trauma and stuff can be held as like trigger points in a muscle that just don't seem to let go. The one thing that's very common that I see with squatting, and I assume that this is just a function of ex excessive sitting over the years, the movement of the femur and this rotation that it's supposed to go through. And if you watch a very small child squat, you'll see this rhythm where there'll be like a good amount of external rotation as you move through a, a squat. Mm -hmm. And it definitely sets up for success. But one thing that's common I see is people set up for a squat and their feet, they're already compensating. Like their feet are pointed out, way out. And they might see power lifters do that. And hey, if if you're like paying your bills with competition, like if you're competing, yeah. you know, kind of all bets are <laughs> off. But before you're a power lifter, you're a human. And, you know, squatting in general is a sagittal plane exercise. It's a forward exercise now there's forces laterally and rotationally so if the weight gets heavy enough you will expose weaknesses in those other planes but ideally the foot is relatively straight ahead and then the 
hip will externally rotate as you go in. And it's very rare I get someone in the gym where that happens, where so, they've already lost that. They're either setting up and they're already externally rotated, which means it's hard to go where you already are. Mm. So sometimes you need to just isolate and i'm not big into like a lot of isolation exercises but from a corrective standpoint there's certain times where these things show i find extremely useful and this is one of them oftentimes people just need to get their hip internally rotating and externally rotating and build like a connection kind of flex that muscle so that hip can move mm-hmm. and then get the feet pointed in the right place mm-hmm. and then find what's appropriate for you so for instance when you refer to box squatting for the listeners that aren't aware, it's just squatting down to a reduced range of motion. You're putting a barrier there, a seat to sit on. Like at a 90, and I and it's just about 90, I'm fine. Right. But if you were a baby, when you were two, I guarantee you would have squatted all the way down. Oh, I have this great picture of my niece and nephew. They're walking through the kitchen in a squat, like holding like a broom over their head. Yeah. Like it's, it's wild and their little rib cage, their alignment's perfect. Yeah. Well, it's regainable, you know, it's just like anything, whatever you practice grows stronger. I need it to be. I want to be a pro surfer now. I don't, I don't want to be pro, (laughs) but dude, I, man, I want to do it. Sometimes it's just taking baby steps. Like, you know, if you're on a box, lowering it little by little Mm -hmm. and not being like attached to some outcome happening really fast, like just playing the long game. The important thing is to recognize that, you know, when you're 80 or 90, you still want to be able to squat. Yeah. So giving yourself some freedom and some runway to just explore and go farther. And sometimes changing your orientation, like squatting can be improved, believe it or not, a lot from the quadruped position. If you were to be in quadruped rocking back and forth, it's a lot like a squat orientation is just a little bit different. So sometimes if you have to free up some range of motion, because with the squat, it could be like, there's literally a mechanical restriction keeping your range of motion. Mm-hmm. And also, it could just be neurologically, you're not organizing yourself well. You're not stable Mm -hmm. in those positions, in those ranges. So when you go standing, things fall apart as you go to the bottom and you start to compensate. Yeah. And, you know, sometimes there's lifestyle habits that just serve these. Like, there's all these exercise tools. Like, I love using a barbell. There's like something, I don't know, it's just a a beautiful relationship, I guess, you could develop with a barbell. And also... It comes at a price. Like every tool has its pros and cons. Sure. And for the same reason that like lifting with a barbell is very supportive to strength and hypertrophy, you're relying on the tension that imposes on you. It's very Mm. unforgiving. So you have to create a lot of tension in your body to move the barbell through space with the load that the barbell is generally used for. One of the nice things about a barbell is you can really load it up you can get progressive overload, you can get stronger, you can get more muscular. But in doing so, you're relying on the tension. That time under tension is one of the signals that's going to tell your nervous system to develop more muscle and more strength. Well, tension comes at a price. Like as you practice tension regularly, you become more tense. Mm. Just like if you practice relaxing meditations regularly, you become a more relaxed, calm person. Yeah. It's just, there's all these different things that we could focus on and we'll get the benefits and then we'll also get the price. And sometimes the price is just the opportunity cost of, well, what could you be doing otherwise? So like, I really like being limber. So I love the barbell, but if I want to be limber while I'm doing all this stressful 
tension-filled exercise, it means there's like more recovery, more nourishment that's needed, mm-hmm. or maybe some time off periodically. Limber brings me joy. Like when oh, I wake yeah. up in the morning, and I don't know if you have, I have like this litmus test when I wake up and and you're either, you know, you just get up, you're like, ooh, I feel great. Like you glide into the bathroom. And then I've, I've had other mornings where I'm limping, you know, whatever the reason. Can you connect the dots of like when you feel limber and what leads to that? Yeah, it's usually some, for me, it's an immune system flare. You know, like I said to you, my lab work, C-reactive protein, anti-nuclear antibodies, lime, mold, these things that used to be in the terrain are not on the lab. But if I'm exposed to those, if I have, you know, I could be exposed to like a, a micro stressor, like a moldy hotel room, or possibly a food sensitivity, you know, you go out, you get dosed with gluten and my body reacts like it can flare. It's rare and they're less, but that's usually what it is for me. It's not the fact that I went out and didn't move right. That's very rare. It's usually the fact that there's some type of, it could be stress too. It could be stress. It could be two weeks of really never honoring time to downregulate, skipping meditation, and I can feel the tension. Like I have this like responsibility that if I don't succeed at this thing, there are other people's <laughs> lives that are going to be diminished because of my lack of achievement. And that's real, you know, so it's those type of things more than it is me like going out and being a weekend warrior. So what do you do? Like, let's say you wake up and things don't feel so ideal to you, regardless of what that stressor is, you know, gluten exposure, moldy hotel room, whatever. What's your first like go to strategy to mitigate that? Yeah, if I have time and for me, sitting still is the challenging it's the one i'm most adverse to so i think because i this is also my personality type i'm a little bit of a social butterfly i like being up and driven by dopamine so i'll tell you one of the most effective things is laying down putting on a meditation track and playing relax all on amp coil or the harmonizer i can usually feel like quite a profound reduction in like tension in my tissue because I like to get up and go, nowadays, it will probably be going through a movement also always makes me feel better. Moving energy, moving chi. That is healing to me. So it might be getting up and going right to the ice bath for three minutes and being in cold water and doing some contrast therapy. That hot to cold, hot to cold for me is, here's what it really does. It alleviates the emotional burden or frustration with my current state because it's such a state shift that you know being in 42 degree water 38 degree water in the morning i'll usually then i like a vibration plate those micro vibrations in front of the red light so do you go through all these things or do you just pick one or two or no i usually do i usually it's the contrast and the red light with the vibe plate in the morning and i can get all that done in about 15 20 minutes Have you ever found yourself, I know I've run into this in the past, like almost like you just get a, I wouldn't say addicted, but it's almost like a trap where you try to do all the things to fix something. And then you wind up being like, almost like creating a new stress out of thin air, like the, the act of chasing feeling better that day or something. Yeah. Yeah. I've have been there in the past. I don't find that now. Those days are less and less my pain. It's I'm the most functional I've ever been. I also want to say that ever. And it continues to, 
I continue to unlock new levels as, you know, I talk to cool people like you and, and different podcast guests who come on and it's this great access to information I could never, ever, ever buy ever. <laughs> so I, you know, thankful for the, like the reminders on this podcast that I'm certainly going to apply. I would say the coping mechanisms that I've adapted are they also they're not just while they may alleviate pain in the moment. I also understand these things to have long term health implications, long term ability to boost energy in the cell. So it's tended to be a very healthy relationship. And when I can, when like this morning I woke up and this morning it was like I just took a walk outside. I felt great. I was like, man, I feel really good. I went to my doctor's office who has all these great, I did blood flow restriction training on the ARX system yesterday, which is a computer biofeedback thing to push weight, which is very, very safe, allows you to push a lot of weight. Interesting technology. I'm sure we can impact that for another podcast episode. But I, I did that and I feel great today. You know, and I pushed like thousands of pounds on the thing. And I woke up and I just took a barefoot walk outside with my morning cup of coffee. I sun gazed. And just took in, I was like, life is beautiful. And then I have a, you know, two great back to back interviews. And I'm sitting here, I have a on the ground, I have like these roly poly things under my feet. So I'm like kind of like massaging my foot muscles and I'm I'm like doing a little swaying while I'm up. And I've I've also here's the other thing that I've done the last hundred episodes. I do standing. I don't sit when I podcast anymore, just to kind of like, and I'll just try to keep a little movement in my body, almost like I'm you know, I guess I'm prepping for my career as an NFL sportscaster on the sidelines. There you go. <laughs> yeah. I can see that. <laughs> yeah, totally. So yeah, long answer, but I feel good about it. I don't feel like I've just subbed out this compensation program for my body just always being stiff. And But I do see that. I do see that addiction pattern happen in the wellness world, 100%. Yeah. Yeah, I've definitely been guilty of it. And it's funny because I'll get the look, like I won't even notice. And again, I'm much better about this now where I'm very unlikely to try, you know, more than one or two like biohacky tricks in a day because yeah, I'll get in a habit where if I'm slipping or having some kind of flare, the stress around it will just drive me to just try everything. And then like, I'll feel like shit at the end of the night and, you know, I'll turn to Sarah and be like, I, you know, I did this. I was in a song. I did this. I did that. And I've gotten like three sweats that day, been in a cold shower, taken way too many supplements. And she looks at me like, are you an effing idiot? Like, listen to yourself. And yeah. I'm like, oh yeah, yeah, I'm an idiot today. Yeah. yeah. Back to the drawing board tomorrow. And back to the basics. Like you said, go outside in the morning, let the sun hit your face, put your feet on the ground, you know, get hydrated and like get a good night's sleep. You know, the basics are usually the most bang for the buck by far. Yeah. Well, energy behind the action, you know, it's like you said, you could pick those two roads we just talked about. Whether you go outside on a barefoot walk or you go into the biohacking, remember, we can't always be hanging our joy on the outcome. That it's like, wow, I'm here to party, whether it's outside and barefoot or it's a vibration play. I'm here to party. I'm here to learn from this experience. And for me, that is, again, that's you're choosing to live in a high vibration state. You're choosing to live in a state of healing a state of curiosity. You know, I look at, like we said, all these things we've talked about, whether it was drug addiction or whether it was chronic pain, it's been the greatest thing that's ever happened to me. It's driven me to explore these topics, which otherwise I would have let go by the wayside. 
Les, I have a question for you as, as far as movement and mindfulness, especially when you're working with a person, let's say this beginner avatar, where do you have them focus a priority of their attention? Is it on the daily practice of stillness or breath work, or is it more starting to move energy through pushing a squat bar or a deadlift? Yeah, that's a great question. I love stillness. I mean, I practice some every day. And also I recognize for many people, that's the hardest thing. Mm -hmm. I mean, that could be like a deal breaker. Now, I like movement because it's just an easier entry point and you feel better very quickly. Like after your first few sessions, like after every session, you are very glad that you did it and you didn't have to like fight with your mind once you get started. Whereas sitting in stillness can be a real challenge for someone that hasn't spent time flexing that muscle. But there's also something to it. Like when you're getting on the ground and like connecting with your body, first of all, there is a little stillness because the first thing I will teach from a movement standpoint is a little bit of breathing and mm -hmm. really just not manipulating it so much, but just the practice of observing it. But just for like a minute or two, you know, maybe ask what you notice from doing that. Like if you spend two minutes paying attention to your breath, what do you notice? Mm -hmm. Most people will say something like, I notice I'm a little calmer now. Like I'm a little relaxed. So like, oh, that sounds good. Yeah, we'll do that. Tomorrow, try that again, you mm -hmm. know? So yeah, I start on the floor, a couple minutes of breathing, and then going right into that first pattern. So I'll take that rolling pattern. So it's very easy. For some people, it feel very weird because... Many adults haven't been on the floor in a really long time, like decades. Yeah, wow. It's like uh, <laughs> I always get on the it's floor. Like a foreign language <laughs> in their body. Yeah. Well, so do I. I mean, I mean, in my house, it's silly. Like we'll be getting ready for dinner, and there'll be at least a couple people flopping around on the floor. Yeah. Right in the middle of the kitchen or something. I just made a camp in the airport last week there coming home from Maui because <laughs> it was I a layover, so it was like six a.m. in LAX. And I just put out like this blanket and I had like some lacrosse balls and I'm rolling around on my hip and yeah. I don't, I'm like, this feels amazing after being on an overnight flight. And there were so many people just like, what is this guy doing over here? <laughs> and you could see people being like, oh, I would love to release a hip flexor right now. Yeah. And a lot of people might look at that and be like, I wish I knew how to get out of my own way to do something like that, to be comfortable enough with myself and love myself enough to be able to do what I feel like I should do in any moment, in any place like that. I mean, most people are not going to feel comfortable out of fear of what other people are going to think about them. Sure. Which makes me think about kids too. Like I talk about learning so much about this first year of our lives where we learn how to move mm -hmm. and how useful that is to reapply that to our life. It's really just one example of how kids are like our greatest teachers. Mm-hmm. If there's like a fountain of youth, like look at what little kids do and do what they do. It's not just the moving around on the ground. It's like the willingness to play, the willingness to laugh or cry, dance, or they just don't care what other people think about them. Mm -hmm. Like if you told a small child in an airport, you know, get down on the floor and spin on your back or whatever, like they would do it. They're not worried about other people. And there's so many lessons for us to learn by watching just how they navigate through life. 
You know, yeah. it could real as far as upgrading how good we feel about our life, because so much of what we do is more like fear based of what we're supposed to do or what other people think, and not so much just love for ourselves, doing what feels right. But yeah, the place I like to start is get them on the ground, connect with their breath, and learn how to roll over. It, it's amazing to me how challenging it could be for an adult to uh, roll from their back to their belly or belly to the back. And the sequence in which they recruit muscles to do so is really funky. And it's not a coincidence when you find that, that you know they'll have issues as far as like pain responses through daily activities. And then the answer to the pain is not so much fixing the way they do their daily activities. It's just spending more time on the floor and like, Mm. getting the nervous system to kind of re-nourish itself the way that it originally was nourished. Like when we were rolling around, even before we're on the ground, when we're still in the womb and we're bouncing around, there's all this communication that's being developed between our brain, our nervous system, and all the parts. Mm -hmm. You know, our vestibular system gets kind of upregulated, turned on, gets developed. And we learn like our, our sense of like spatial awareness and you know how we are showing up in like this 3D space and you can never get too much of that like it's actually it's amazing to me we talked about the word quality earlier there's an infinite spectrum of quality the ability to roll from your belly to your back you can always get better at it sounds like a really simple thing but it's literally infinite yeah how efficient you can get and it will only translate to all the other things you do in your life whether it's you know, bringing groceries home from the store or, you know, backflip off the diving board, whatever the thing is, the better you move at the most fundamental basic human things, they're going to manifest their way in other activities in a way that one improves your ability to perform and just reduces the chance of like compensatory strategies that will eventually lead to some pain signal, something where your body's telling you to change direction. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I was just thinking that in all this, when we talk about movement or exercise and its role in longevity, I was just thinking about, it popped into my head, a woman had done a post on the biological value of exercise in relation to cancer. And above all things, all things, all modalities you can do for your health, all biohacks, nothing, nothing touched movement or exercise. In fact, it, it reduced the incidence of 13 major types of cancer. And then as far as like patient outcomes, while they were involved in some type of exercise program, the results, there was no drug that's ever done what exercise has done. Well, there's, I think I'm not a, you know, cancer expert by any, by any way, but I do think there's a strong metabolic component to at least many cancers. And that might have something to do with it. Just having enough lean tissue on your body to manage the fuel in our body, the sugars and such, mm -hmm. maybe, you know, and having like a storage facility for glucose might have something to do mm -hmm. with that benefit. Um, and it might also be like just the emotional and mental state of mind that it creates. Yeah. The study actually have it on PubMed. If anybody looks up PMC 7987556. Do they talk about the mechanism of action? Yeah, or? it's roles and molecular mechanisms of physical exercise and cancer prevention and treatment. And this is 2020. It's a relatively new study. It's PMID 327 38520. 
is the one ID and it's a great meta analysis of all the different pathways. And, and like you said, it's, it's never exists in a vacuum, but, and there's so many, whether it's the impact on insulin sensitivity or it's flushing toxicity, but it literally looks at every type of cancer facing the world right now and its impact. It's, it's a really great, really great paper. Yeah, I guess there could be a lot of things. I know the lymphatic system has a, a big role getting crap out of the body and everything and moving is uh, moving the body is paramount and getting that system to operate everything. Less, I want to be mindful of our hour here as we approach the the end of the podcast. If I could give you a magic wand and you can get a channel, you can get a cell phone signal to everybody in the world right now. You get to talk to them for 20 seconds. What's your advice? Ooh, good question. Um, get on the floor a little bit every day and get outside, get in the sun more. Beautiful. And then you said you love the name, the Beautifully Broken Podcast. What does it mean to you to be beautifully broken? Oh, it's like... I mean, that's the human experience right there. You know, it's like we're on this journey to somehow along the way, learn how to to love ourselves just a little bit more and to change our perspective of you're not broken. You know, this is the way it is. Life is really hard, full of suffering, and you can create a lot of joy and love if you decide to. And um, it speaks to me beautifully broken. I, I Like I said earlier. A lot of time in my life that I felt like I was broken. And now after 45 years, I'm finally figuring out, oh, I think it's okay to love myself a little bit. I think it's okay. Yeah, I think a lot I, of it. I have permission to. Yeah, that's beautiful. And then the other question I want to ask you is, you have a movement studio in Maryland and your wife. You have a podcast. You guys have a very successful YouTube platform, which I just want to go back and it is your channel is the mindful, the mindful movement. Yep. Great. So hopefully maybe we can get you guys to 700,000. We'll get some follows. There's great meditations. My question for you is, is somebody who's really found, it seems like you found success in a lot of these endeavors. What would be your advice to somebody else looking to have impact in this wellness container? Do you have any tips, pro tips for them as far as your success, your road to success? Oh, that's a good question. I think the important thing with there to practice listening to within, like I would say to not do something because someone like me presented that idea. And I would go inward more, practice going inward and listening to what is inside you that you feel is worthwhile, that you feel compelled to give away. I mean, I, I do think that everybody has some gift and not that it's like a responsibility to find it and give it away, but I think there's a lot of fulfillment in doing so. And I don't know if anyone else can tell you what that is. They could tell you maybe how how to be more successful at giving it away. But I think the first thing to do is to find what's really inside you and more like make space for that to emerge and not expect it to go a certain way. You know, it's going to go sideways, it's going to go down, going to go up and, um, you know, be willing to learn from whatever twists and turns. And then knowing that you could also change your mind and do it different later. You know, there's no rules just because you have an idea now you don't have to be attached to, you know, that's what, who you are and what you have to do and identify with it, you know, just show up and connect with uh, what's right for you. Amazing. And then where can people follow the podcast and 
where could people get a hold of you? Uh, the podcast is the same name, the Mindful Movement Podcast. Try to interview folks like you, learn more about biohacking or whatever else that is related to playing a bigger role in your sense of well-being, I guess. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, so the Mindful Movement on YouTube, if you want to get, there's some educational content on there. Primarily, it's guided meditation. So it's a way to just put earbuds in, you know, zone out for 20, 30 minutes, uh, a lot of hypnosis-based ones. So I think that's a great tool for any kind of habit change. But if you just want to like relax, then there's tons of free content. And then we also offer plenty of courses. My wife has created a lot of courses, a lot of workshops. So all that could be found through the website, themindfulmovement.com also. Mm-hmm. Amazing. Well, I really honor what you're doing in the world. I think it's so important. You would be so easy for me to recommend to people in my life that are looking to, again, it's like break into a new layer of what's possible. I think it just really resonates with me, everything you and your wife are creating. So I applaud you for your work. Thank you. Thanks for sharing that. I appreciate it. And uh, if you do want to meet in person, there are hotels in town. You could come out and get the hands-on experience at the gym. Brick and mortar in real life. In real life. I love that. In real life. We offer services in real life. I love that. And well, please, if anybody's inspired to do that, take action. This is the Beautifully Broken Podcast. I've had a great time with my guest here, Les Raymond. Check out him and all the things he's offering on YouTube and Apple and Spotify. And everybody have a beautiful, blessed day. Namaste. Thanks again for tuning in, everybody. As always, I'm grateful for the listening. I hope you enjoyed this episode. It was definitely different. And if you had any questions about some of the things I talked about in regard to a movement practice, please send them my way and I'll do my best to respond. And also remember that I do offer coaching on a one-on-one basis. So if you are interested in that, then go to the website, themindfulmovement.com and inquire to see if it's a good fit for you. Thanks again. I hope you have a great day.